Great news. Side Retired is now partnered with SeatGeek. For all ticketing needs, go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code SideRetiredPod in all capitals for $20 off your first order. We've got you covered from all things ranging from sporting events to concerts, including Major League Baseball and Taylor Swift. Yes, this means we're officially taking you out to the ballgame. And now for today's edition of Side Retired Podcast. Hello and welcome to this edition of Side Retired, the MLB podcast. It is Dylan Campione, joined alongside Nico Fernandez, as always. And welcome to the offseason, which is officially technically a new season of the Side Retired podcast, if you want to call it like that. We're going to be bringing you now five episodes a week going forward. That is right. You will have new Side Retired content every Monday through Friday, either a new interview, an instant reaction to a new trade and signing, or Nico and I are also starting to game plan some fun creative lists and tiers and rankings and Mount Rushmore videos and other cool baseball history that we can debate and talk about with you guys. But get used to our voices because myself, Nico, as well as James and Henry, who are going to be joining us as well in separate episodes throughout the week and going forward, the four of us, you're going to be hearing us five days a week. So excited for all the new stuff that's coming this off season. Of course, follow us on all the social medias, but we are back. We are better than ever talking a ton of baseball in a fun off season led by Shohei Otani. So Nico, how you doing? We're fired up and it's off season time. I'm doing phenomenal. You guys better get used to our annoying voices because you're going to hear a lot more of it. Again, a lot of content coming for the off season just means a lot more time for us to talk for us to just do what we love talking baseball, start with the off season. Again, three months of me thinking the Red Sox are going to be World Series champions. So you're going to have that for three months. You're going to have Dylan thinking that the Mets are going to be relevant. You're going to have that for three months. You're going to have Yankee guys thinking the Yankees aren't an overrated franchise who's had one World Series in the last decade. So it's going to be great. And I love it. And just to give you guys a sneak peek of all the fun that is coming here at Side Retired in the near future, we've got a cool interview releasing tomorrow morning with ESPN's Danny Wexelman. Later on in the week, you're going to hear an interview with Miami Marlins play-by-play guy Paul Severino. You're also going to hear from the COO of John Boy Media, Courtney, Courtney Hirsch. We've also got the podcast creator of Wake and Rake podcast, Danny Vietti. And in case you guys missed him, because it's been a year since he's been on, we've got our big good friend back on the podcast real soon, Bob Nightingale. will be joining the show again in a couple of days or weeks, so we're really looking forward to that one. One thing that's going to remain consistent and shout out to we reconnected with their agency and we're booked for another season of Bayana leading the show. Backer Matt, the official band of Side Retired, playing that intro music at the beginning of every episode. We can't wait and we're really excited for that to continue to be our theme music going forward. But a lot of talking about going forward. We're first going to do some looking back, and that is indeed with the 2023-24 offseason approaching and beginning Technically tomorrow, by the time you're listening to this, we're going to look back at last year's offseason, some of the biggest signings, some of the biggest trades, and we're going to see, did we learn anything from last year's offseason that we can apply to this year? A lot of big signings, and unfortunately, as much as this is a team that I don't like to talk about what happened last offseason, the place we're going to start, Nico, is the New York Mets, because last year, they did indeed dominate the offseason discussion. They signed Justin Verlander. They signed Edwin Diaz. They signed Brandon Nimmo. 
They signed Kodai Senga. They let go of Jacob deGrom. This was a big offseason for the New York Mets, and obviously we know how this ended. So looking back a calendar year later, how would you define last year's Mets offseason? The Mets offseason, I'm gonna I have to put it as either a D or an incomplete, because I think at the end of the day, the season that they had was a D, was an F. It was nothing short of what they expected. It was an absolute dumpster fire. But at the same time, Kodai Senga, phenomenal. You locked up, even though I don't really like him because of his comments on the WBC, you have your leader in Brandon Nimmo. Edwin Diaz, freak injury. He's going to go back to being Edwin Diaz. Verlander, again, that's the one that's the glaring thing. You spent a lot of money on a guy that was not a part of your thing for half the season. So, yeah, I think just because of how the – I don't think it was necessarily that bad of an offseason. I think it was just more bad, just a bad season. Because, again, Kodai Senga successful, Nimmo was Nimmo, and Edwin Diaz had an injury. So, of those main four, I really got to say it's more of a C rather than a D. But, again, when we're talking about looking back on stuff and doing it to the year, Kodai Senga is – this last year's Kodai Senga is this year's Yamamoto. Yamamoto is going to be the big guy. I don't think he's going to be with the Mets, but again, high profile Korean Japan, Japanese pitchers. That's kind of the name of the game. That's going to be Yamamoto. Amazing in his last start. He got roughed up two starts ago, but this one, I think he had like 14 Ks. He, I saw some rankings. I think he's the number two free agent in the class. So according to like a lot of rankings and Otani's number one. So again, he's going to kind of be that high profile Japanese star that we were, that we have this off season. I think looking at the other angle of, of how does this impact the Mets in 2023? I don't think the Mets are going to have as splashy an off season. I know signing Verlander, signing Diaz, signing uh, Correa technically for a second and then not backing out. The big thing was going into the offseason, the Mets were losing a lot of pieces. They were going to lose Diaz, Nimmo. They lost Jacob DeGrom, Chris Bassett, Taiwan Walker. So they needed a big offseason in order to basically stand pat and be the same as they were in 2022. This year, the only free agent is Carlos Carrasco. With that being said, I still think the Mets are going to spend this offseason. It's going to be a lot different spending, and it's not going to be 200 on Bellinger and 200 on Yamamoto and 180 on Blake Snell. It's going to be more marginal moves. But the Mets and Steve Cohen in particular, we've learned over the last few years, is not going to stand still and do nothing. Maybe it's a Pete Alonso extension and it's keeping the core together long term. He's going to spend money, but it's not going to be at the top of the market like it's been in years past. Yeah, I think that's the biggest question. The biggest question is something that we didn't see before. What's happening with Pete Alonso? Again, half of the world thinks that there's no doubt in their mind that he's in a different uniform in spring training. And the other half of the world thinks that there's no shot that he's not a Met by spring training. So everyone's interested in that. Again, like you said, Steve Cohen, if there's one thing that I can say for a fact Steve Cohen is good at, it is writing checks and he will continue to write checks for people. I don't, again, I don't think like Yamamoto or Bellinger's in the cards because it doesn't make sense for like their timeline. But again, especially with like new ownership, I with um new like a new GM, new like people running it. I want to see this is a big direction year. I think I think this year is more like we're gonna see what the big picture is for them for the next three, four, five years. Because again, if they re-sign Peter Alonso and maybe again it's Steve Cohen, maybe they do go ahead and be like, we're just gonna pay a lot for Yamamoto, pay a lot for Bellinger. I, there's a world where that happens. This is going to be very important to see what the picture is for the Mets and the Steve Cohen. I, I would say new era because 
we had like a two thing era of they were going to try and win a world series and by buying everyone that didn't work. So now it's kind of like, where do we go from here? And like this second, I guess, era of the Steve Cohen presidency ownership, I guess. Yeah. It's a, it's a fun way that the Mets have had nine GMs and seven managers in the last five years. So the turnover we're used to, but hopefully the stability is incoming soon with Craig council and David Stern is leading the way, but let's go across town another team that the biggest contract in free agency last year was a guy that was supposed to go to the giants but he instead stayed in new york with the new york yankees aaron judge got his nine-year 360 million dollar contract after winning the mvp and just like the mets did not participate in any playoff game so the question there is with the judge i know he got hurt this year but he did exactly what the yankees were hoping he was their rock he was their leader he was their best player besides garrett cole what is the yankees looking like their outlook for 2024 are they a Yamamoto team are they a Bellinger team or since they have three 300 million dollar contracts already in Judge Stanton and Cole have they maxed out I I think the Yankees need to make moves I don't think they will because I think that the last couple years they really haven't done a lot I think that we've kind of seen a lot of the same team but I feel like they do need to make moves. I think Aaron Judge is not getting any younger. I loved that signing. I'm a big fan of stars getting their value, even overvalued, just for them being the star of your franchise. I think that was Aaron Judge. I think Aaron Judge goes to any other team, he gets paid more, but he was like, I'll take a pay cut to stay. And they gave him that. They need to keep on doing They need to build around them because Aaron Judge is not getting any younger. Hasn't been the healthiest guy in his career. When he's on the field, he produces. He's a top five player in baseball. Every single time he's on the field. So you have, you're on the clock. You're on the clock. You can't sign a guy for $360 million and do nothing. You're the Yankees. Again, hate them, but you're the Yankees. You did it in 09. You've done it before. You're the big bad team that can just buy anyone because you're New York City. You you need to do it. It's that simple because, again, Aaron Judge, I don't think he's going to be the type of guy that 40 years old, he's just going to be hitting almost if not just as well as when he was 31. So you got to think that in this four, five-year window, you got to get as many rings as you can. And that's even saying you have to at least get one with this Aaron with Aaron Judge. Like you, you have to – it sucks because I think now we live in the day and age, which is great, where analytics kind of rule everything, where it's kind of like you, you go and you're trying to eke out the best value that you can – Sometimes when 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 you're the Yankees, yes, analytics are important, but you don't have to look a lot into that. Just you have a big checkbook to play with. Use it and it influence your will as you always have as the Yankees. Speaking of championships, let's talk about the 2023 World Series champion Texas Rangers, which is still a little weird in my head to think about. But they went out and made a big splash on a five-year, $185 million contract for Jacob deGrom. They also signed your boy Nathan Avaldi, Martin Perez, Andrew Heaney. None of these moves were perfect. Avaldi, I think they got their bang for their buck for, but Heaney wasn't great. Perez wasn't in the rotation by the end of the year, and that's a lot of money to throw at Jacob DeGrom to sit on the IL and have Tommy John surgery. And again, if you go back to literally almost a year ago at this point, I was crying when we lost Jacob DeGrom and we didn't sign with that contract. Looking back, it's not a great deal, but they still got their ring. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a lot of slander that you just said of Evaldi. Didn't end up great. It was more that he just got hurt. And then he came back for the last couple starts and got blown up. And that was great in the playoffs again because he was great the first half of the year before he got hurt. 
Um, DeGrom, everything you said, agree with. Again, he basically rode the bench to get a ring. The Texas Rangers have a very, very clear offseason. Mm-hmm. Do nothing. It's that simple. Yep. Just don't mess it up. Just don't mess it. That's all you have to do. Don't mess it up because you're getting the same team back next year. Everyone's we could we talked about it when the World Series happened. The position they're in is so good. They have a lot of guys, everyone's under control. DeGrom again, yes, bad contract because of his injuries. He's gonna come back. And when he comes back, he's gonna be DeGrom. He definitely, like in my mind, has the Verlander-esque thing to it where he's gonna come back from Tommy John surgery and he's gonna be electric and he's probably gonna win a Cy Young, just like Verlander did at 45. <laughs> but Again, the, the Rangers, yes, a lot of them don't work. Doesn't matter. Don't change anything. Don't do anything dumb. Don't try and make a big trade to make yourself that much better. Just keep the same team. If you keep the same team, you will win the AL West. You will. You'll be the first team to do it in forever because the freaking Astros win every single year. Just don't change anything. You have an all-star caliber player at every single, if you told me there's a world, which I don't think it'll happen, but there's a world where every single person in their starting lineup makes the all-star team and starts would never happen. But that's how good each person at their position is. Jonah Himes is an all-star starter caliber player. Nathaniel Lowe hits like an all-star at points. Simeon, all-star starter caliber player. Seager, best shortstop in the league. Simeon's the best second baseman. Josh Jung, all-star starter. Adoles Garcia, all-star star. Evan Carter, all-star starter caliber player. Like your whole lineup can be all-star starters if they all click. You don't have to change anything. Maybe if, if you want to add some bullpen pieces, fine. Go do that. Don't touch this team. I was about to say, the only thing I'd add in, especially with the bullpen being pretty shaky, they add Josh Hader to this team, game over. Like, yeah, Chris Young has proven he's willing to spend money, but you in DeGrom 200 and then Seager and Simeon the year before for 500. Throw 100 at Josh Hader. Why not? Have some fun. I don't hate that. <laughs> Let's go to the next topic. Or, slash- ooh, ooh, sorry, just big. Yeah. Don't get Hader. Get the get 2024's best closer called up from AAA. Kumar Rocker doesn't need to be a starter anymore. Just, just get him throwing 100% at, for one inning. That's all I need. <laughs> Promise you that guy will work. Guy's a, a ox. The guy's an ox. Guy's a freaking myth of a human being. Just put him on the bump for an inning, throwing as hard as he can, throwing as hard of a slider as he can. He'll be fine. <laughs> well, you're gonna make me cry if Jacob Degrom throws like eight shutout and then Kumar Rocker's closing out that game. That's that would be that's a mess. <laughs> that would be electric. But we're gonna get to the next year of players, and that was that last year at a very deep shortstop class. And I think the four deals that we're gonna highlight here. And we're going to say which one we think was the best and which one was the worst so far of the year. Varying degrees of success. That was Trey Turner signed 300 with Philly. That was Xander Bogart signed 280 in San Diego. That was Dansby Swanson signed for 177 in Chicago. That was Carlos Correa ended up signing back in Minnesota for six years. Which one worked out? Which one didn't? Because I kind of think they're all in the pretty similar range of their still top 10 shortstops, but nobody did as well as they could have done this year um i would say the best one was probably dansby pretty sure dansby had a nice year gold glove just got announced today well yesterday it would be when this comes out um dansby had a nice year i think bogarts i think bogarts is getting got put into the thing of he was never supposed to get that much 
the Padres just got upset that they didn't get judged. They didn't get every single person that they tried for. So they were like, we'll overpay for Bogarts. So he's kind of like a bit overvalued in his contract. But I think he's going to bounce back next year. Probably jump just saying that because I'm a Bogarts guy. Um, Trey Turner, as long as the Phillies give him a standing ovation opening day, he's going to play like Trey Turner. And then Correa, again, all his value. Um, I think we saw it a lot um, this year. Value comes into playoffs. I think he is two different shortstops. He just is one of those guys where in the postseason, he seems to just cement himself as one of the best shortstops. And then I think he's on the lower end of a top 10 shortstop in the regular season. But again, when we get to the postseason, uh, even though I think he's overrated, I'll put him up against anyone at shortstop. So I think they all had their value. I think Bogart, sadly, is probably the worst, even though I'm pretty sure he still had an 800 OPS or he had like a 790. Um, but I think all of them, I think none of them reached the ceiling that any of them hoped for. But again, there's a good chance that for almost every single one here, th- this may have been their floor, which is always good to see. I think the thing is that Correa and Turner did exactly what they were supposed to do. They were veteran leaders. They did a great job on their team. And Dansby really elevated his play. Him and Bellinger were the big difference makers, which made the Cubs from a last place team finisher to pushing for a playoff spot for most of the season. And then you get to Bogarts. And it's not that he's a bad player at all. It's just we're seeing reports of what might be happening with the Padres this offseason. And you can't help but wonder, is the Xander Bogarts contract really about to make Juan Soto no longer a Padre? Because if they weren't paying Bogarts $30 million a year, there's your 30 that you can keep Juan Soto with. And when you look at the makeup of this team, where they already had a gold glove caliber shortstop in Fernando Tatis Jr., who's now being put into right field, might say he's doing really well in right field defensively. Mm-hmm. But you had him as the shortstop. And if you didn't trust him at short, you had Ha Sung Kim as your starting shortstop. Even in a pinch, Jake Cronenworth could have played shortstop. So the Bogarts fit never made complete sense. And it's now rearing its ugly head because sure, you had an all-star caliber lineup, but the pieces defensively didn't work. And they all were very similar offensive type big right-handed hitters for power that a lefty a la Clayton Kershaw or a power righty a la Zach Gallen could dominate very easily. And that's why the Padres were were where they were this year. Yeah. I mean, Bogart's, uh, it's not Bogart's fault. It's just the Padres got antsy. It's the Padres got upset that they didn't get anyone. So again, they overpaid, which puts them in a really weird position, just as you said. Again, objectively, Juan Soto's a lot better than Xander Bogarts. And you're kind of in a hole now because Bogarts has a contract that he shouldn't have had. Bogarts, again, and this goes back to the Red Sox. If the Red Sox just paid him what he deserved, this isn't even a thing for the Padres. But again, Bogarts really puts them in a tough spot because as much as I love Bogarts, his ceiling isn't top 10 player in baseball. Juan Soto's ceiling is best player in baseball, not named Otani. And you're about to lose one of them because you kind of got upset that you didn't get anyone last offseason, so you overpaid for your shortstop, which I love Bogarts. Again, I hate to say this because it pains me because I love Xander Bogarts. He's arguably my favorite player in the MLB. But just objectively, this contract, no one expected this contract because this contract wasn't supposed to happen. And since it did happen, you're in the 
a weird spot, just a terrible spot to be in because you're about to lose one of the best players in baseball. Unfortunately, there were also some pretty bad contracts this offseason, or at least what are on the way to looking like pretty bad contracts. Carlos Rodon's $165 million with the Yankees was not off to a hot start. Neither was Wilson Contreras netting $100 million from the St. Louis Cardinals. Noah Syndergaard's one-year contract blew up in their face. Andrew Benintendi is currently the highest-paid White Sox in history and is on a rebuilding team. Anthony Rizzo played concussed for most of the year, and that did not work out to his advantage. I think there's a couple others that well as well, but let's focus on the positives. And there were a couple solid under-the-radar moves, or if you could even call them under-the-radar, in that Justin Turner got a very nice two-year, $22 million deal from the Boston Red Sox. You've got Josh Bell performed really well after being traded to the Miami Marlins, so technically his initial contract worked out pretty well. And then the one of the offseason that I think, if you agree with me, was the best contract of the offseason. And as much as we made fun of him entering the year and made our bet on whether he'd hit 40 home runs or not, a one-year, $17 million contract for a guy that for half the year was in the MVP consideration. Bravo to the Chicago Cubs on their Cody Bellinger contract. Yeah, I mean, this was exactly what Bellinger and Boris wanted out of this contract. The plan was simple exactly when he signed. Everyone knows the Central is subpar compared to the West and the East. Put yourself in the Central, hit well, get a big payday. That's exactly what Bellinger did. He signed. He absolutely raked. He looked like 2019 Belly all over again. He looked like the guy that was going against Yelich for two years, having a great MVP race. He looked phenomenal. He looked exactly what we've expected from Bellinger to be ever since his MVP season. And now the question is, is this back? Is this going to be what holds? Or is this, again, your typical was in the NL Central and is really just overvalued because he was playing in the NL Central, a la Jesse Winker. I think he's better than Jesse Winker. But again, we saw Jesse Winker once he left the Reds after that year and got his big payday. Hasn't been the same since. So I, again, Bellinger's an all-time talent. The guy won an MVP when he's on. He rakes. Love him and I will be the show. Very glitchy swing. Very glitchy swing. You gotta love him. But that's the big question is, is a team going to get too um, get too mystified by just the fact that he hits so well and overpay him and then he gets to maybe like the AO East, the NL West, where he's facing better pitching and he's not the same? Again, I think that's more just of you sign him and you hope because there's not really a way to kind of quantify that. But again, uh, sometimes you have to put your foot in your mouth. Uh, He did absolutely what he wanted to do this year. He raked. Thankfully, he got hurt for a little bit, so I don't have to streak Cooper Field. I think he gets 175 mil this offseason, which is a crazy number to throw out there. But I don't think it's that crazy. Other than Otani, he's the best position player. And I don't even know if you can consider Otani as a free agent or as a position player. Like, okay. It's him or Matt Chapman, and no, he's very Matt Chapman. He's very exactly. Matt Chapman. Then, like, then he's the best position no, player. No, like I had it. Uh, if I told you without knowing what Cody Bellinger was, forty, you have a twenty-eight-year-old who's coming off of an eight eighty OPS season and is a former MVP. One seventy-five doesn't sound crazy. Yeah, and the guy's a Gold Glove defender. Yep, Bellinger's a Gold Glove defender with At an first or a center. Yeah, absolutely. With an 880 OPS, 
and he's a former MVP. That's $175 million. I mean, I have to agree with you. Just the question, the big question is, is are we getting 2023, 2019 Bellinger, or are we getting 2021, 2022 Bellinger when he signs with a new team? That's the big question. Yeah, but I think one of the key things here that we just mentioned, the positional player crop in free agency is not very deep, which is why I think this offseason we will see a lot more trades than we did last offseason. Not that the trade market was depleted last year, but when looking back in the final question I had in retrospective was the best trade of the 2023 offseason slash 2022, and the only ones I could come up with, and I went through them all, so it's not that I missed anything. It's Sean Murphy to the Braves. It's the Luis Arias Pablo Lopez swap. And then it's the Dalton Varsho, Lourdes Gurriel, and Gabriel Moreno swap with honorable mentions going to Teoscar Hernandez. And then to round out our top five, I threw uh, the AJ Puck trade in there because he looked half decent for the Marlins. But that was it on the trade front last year. Obviously, Arias for Pablo Lopez turned out probably to be the biggest one. Maybe Sean Murphy, you could argue. Definitely, I think it's definitely, but it's definitely. Um, FYI, one guy, if you want to talk about trades, um, you were talking about Sean Murphy maybe being the best trade, and let me just verify this before I say something on the podcast. Um, we eat up time here while I do some research. Very similar, very similar OPS to Wilson Contreras, just so you know. Mm -hmm. 830 to 840. And you said one of them was a failure of a signing. I was going to push back on it when you said it, but you got into the Bellinger thing. <laughs> Wilson had a terrible first two months, and then he he did Wilson Contreras things over the well, rest. It was more that the Cardinals failed, plus their handling him was well, odd. When they moved him to left field for a second, yeah. and it was year one of a five-year deal. But My thing of Sean Murphy, I, I would say Luis Arias over, and Pablo Lopez over the Sean Murphy deal is – I think that the value that Luis Arias and Pablo Lopez bought their their um, respective teams is a lot more than what Sean Murphy did. I think Sean Murphy's a great player. I think he's one of the best catchers in the game. But again, playoffs, what was Sean Murphy hitting? Seventh? Exactly, yep. Like, we're talking about a guy who was on 400 watch being the leadoff for a playoff team and a guy who pitched extremely well for the Twins in the playoffs and a great year. And a guy who, as great as we know he is, in the context of the Braves lineup, they traded for a seventh batter. Now, yep. that seventh batter just happens to be a top five catcher. <laughs> but again, in the terms of value, I'll take the guys, the guy who was a leadoff or the guy who was pitching very well in the playoffs over the seventh batter in terms of trade of the offseason. <laughs> I think that's why you could also argue, although the names aren't as flashy, the Lourdes Guriel and Gabriel Moreno acquisition Agreed. by the Diamondbacks. Both of them Sneaky. middle of the order in a World Series runner-up, we'll call yeah. them. The only the only thing with that is I, I really don't like to trade the Blue Jays. Yeah. Because Marsha was good this year, but they lost their left fielder and their catcher for the future. And by the way, they also traded away Teoscar Hernandez in the offseason too. So the Blue Jays kind of shot their offense in the foot by trading away three starting caliber players in exchange for Varsho, who was good, but... 677 OPS. Yeah, he's he's not great. But they also had Kevin Kiermaier roaming center field, so they went with the more defensive approach. That's a great, great signing. Yeah. But, of course, that is the conclusion of the 2022-2023 offseason, and 
in looking back, we hope to gain some insight into what's going to happen over the next couple of months and weeks. So to wrap this episode off, we'll give you a quick breakdown that this episode will be out here on Monday, November 6th. Interview with Danny Wexelman will be out on Tuesday, November 7th. We then have a couple more interviews that we're probably going to release throughout the week. We might have another one of these more sporadic breakdowns as well as coming up next Monday. We'll be giving you our free agency predictions episode. So we'll allow for a week of rumors to give our guys a little intel into what might happen during the offseason. But then we will do our full out who will be going where. We'll be bringing back the same draft format for our loyal listeners who remember last year where we drafted free agents almost like we did for the trade deadline. We'll be back with that format next Monday, which is November 13th. Crazy to think that time is flying that quickly. We'll be in mid-November in a week from now. But to close out this one, since we love our hot takes, Nico, the floor is yours for a hot take to take off the off-season. I was going to say it anyways. Yes. Um, One of... This is 100%. Book it. Okay. Uh, 2024 opening day start. I'll, I'll, I'll have a Red Sox theme because that's the only team I really care about. The opening day starter will either be, well, no, it can't be one of them. It will either be Corbin Burns, okay. Aaron Nola, okay. or it will be Brian Bayo and starting at DH is the best pitcher in Yale, Shohei Otani. Wow. Okay. So a big okay. off season. It's happening. For the Boston Red Sox. It's happening. We're going to get one of those guys, and he is going to lead us to a 500 year. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I started thinking about my prediction. I heard 500 year, and I had to jump in again. But I will give my bold prediction that it's not super bold but it's more in the immediate future because i guarantee the otani thing will drag out for a couple more months i know i gave us that tuesday's episode is going to be the danny wexelman interview i did not reveal the legitimate plan for the rest of the week because it's still being finalized because i think wednesday we're gonna have an instant reaction pod and i think that craig council's decision is going to be made on tuesday so tomorrow when you guys are listening to this you will know that he's going to return to the milwaukee brewers and we'll also find out that Carlos Mendoza is going to be signing with the Cleveland Guardians to be their manager. And then we're going to have a fun emergency podcast Tuesday night where I wonder, we told Mark Kotze and a couple other candidates that we're no longer interested in them in the Mets managerial job. And apparently we've narrowed our focus on to Craig Council and Carlos Mendoza. And the Met fan in me says that they both sign with other teams on Tuesday. And then we're going to have to be scratching our heads saying, can we interview Buck Showalter? Get a veteran presence like him in our dugout? Um, so my bold prediction for the near future is that Council returns to Milwaukee. Mendoza goes likely to Cleveland or somewhere else by Tuesday. And we are beginning the Mets carousel managerial candidates on Wednesday morning's episode. But then, of course, we'll be back with cool interviews on Thursday and Friday. So again... Fun episodes in the future. Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn, TikTok, outside retired pods for Dylan, Nico, as well as James and Henry and all our behind the scenes guys. Shout out to David and Finley and Potter. Until the next time, side is retired.